John couldn't stand the waiting. He wanted to do something, so he spent most of the night driving around, circling the woods, following the routes back into Bristol, just in case. Each time he returned, he sat in my car and asked me to go over what had happened. I've told you, I said, when he asked for the third time. Tell me again. How will it help? It might. I'm so scared he's hurt. John winced at my words, but I needed to say more. He'll be so frightened. I know. His reply was tight, tense. He'll be wondering why we haven't found him yet. Stop. Just tell me again, from the beginning. I did. I told him everything I could remember over and over again. But it was simple, really. Ben was there, and then he ran ahead, and then he was gone. No sign, except a rope swing, gently swaying. Do you think he'd been on it? John asked. How was it swaying? Backwards and forwards, gently. Could the wind have blown it? It might have. Have you told the police? Yes. And you heard nothing? No, just the sounds of the woods. And you called out to him? Of course I did. And so on. In this way, the hours passed slowly, desperately. We punctuated the time by speaking periodically to the police, getting updates that told us nothing. I rang Nicky more than once, passing on the lack of news, hearing the mounting desperation in my voice echoed in her responses. Inspector Miller arrived before midnight in full waterproof gear to oversee the search. The men with dogs changed shift twice. Sodden and tired animals handed over to eager, bright-eyed creatures straining at their leashes. I gave them Ben's jumper to sniff so they knew his scent. The darkness was our greatest enemy, holding back the possibility of a full-scale search. At 5 a.m., Inspector Miller called John and me together to tell us what was happening. They were readying themselves for dawn, he said, which would be at 7.37. He ran through a list of the actions that were planned, using police-speak that I only partially understood. There were to be more dogs, horses, a sergeant, and six. Mountain rescue were coming and they'd scrambled the eye in the sky. For the next couple of hours, I watched numbly from my car as the scene in the car park transformed. I felt useless, a voyeur. The Sergeant and Six turned out to be a grilled van from which seven men appeared, ready to search on foot. Another van brought a generator, lights, a shelter and maps and four mountain rescue men. Inspector Miller and WPC Banks worked to organize them. They'd both begun to function with the contained, intense kind of energy of somebody who has a bad secret that they're not allowed to tell. Dawn crept in in fits and starts, the pall of total darkness reluctant to retreat. Daylight revealed that the parking area had been churned up by the constant comings and goings during the night. The only blessings were that the rain had ebbed to a persistent drizzle and the wind had died down somewhat, though spiteful, icy little gusts still blew through intermittently. Four mounted officers congregated at the entrance to the path, 
Their horses were huge and beautiful, with glossy coats and nostrils that snorted visible puffs into the damp, chilly air. Ben would have loved them. One of them startled as the thud-thud of the search helicopter grew louder overhead. It swooped low over the treetops before disappearing again. Katrina arrived soon afterwards. John emerged from his car to greet her and folded his arms around her in a public display of affection, the likes of which had never occurred once in our entire relationship. He buried his face into her hair. I lowered my gaze. She knocked on my car window, startling me. I wound it down. No news yet.